at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 36 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton. I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. And this is the first time that we've, I guess, broadcasted from two separate countries. Is, is that correct, Kevin? I mean, I'm in Munich, Germany right now, and you guys are back in Texas. I've never been to another country. I've never been out of the bounds of this country. So I can safely say on my end, that is true. So we are taking the Weekly Brew worldwide. And as a result of, you know, taking the Weekly Brew to a different continent, you know, Western Europe, as, as we are broadcasting right now, uh, Jeremy Paxson is actually going to join us later on in the show while I'm going to step away and Kevin and Jeremy are going to take over the rest of the show and discuss a, a fun subject that I wish I could, you know, partake in, which is the Mount Rushmore of Houston sports. And I'm just going to say, I hope you guys have Craig Biggio somewhere on that list. If not, I'm going to be a little bit disappointed. But uh, Kevin, how's the week going for you? This week is uh, kind of a prelude to what's coming up. Ultimately, I'm going to be at the Final Four covering uh, events for Houston Community Newspapers. I will be the uh, reporter on staff for that. And uh, so I've just been kind of following all the March Madness. And it has been madness. Let's be real. And this is upset city this year. And so it's been really exciting. I've been kind of scouting some of the teams I'm likely to see here in Houston. Um, but otherwise it's been a pretty slow week. Watched a lot of playoff soccer this week, which, um, is not my favorite thing to do. So, uh, just waiting, just waiting until the big moment. Fortunately, I've only been able to follow March madness on my cell phone. I wish I could, you know, kind of watch it in person, but I'm looking forward to seeing the final four come to Houston next week. And unfortunately my Baylor bears are not going to be a part of that, but, uh, who knows? Maybe the, the Baylor Lady Bears will be a part of the Final Four. But uh, uh, great things coming for the city of Houston. And uh, again, Jeremy Paxton will join us a little bit later on the show. But uh, Kevin, as I understand, uh, last week our episode about Steve Ullman generated a lot of buzz and content and feedback overall on Reddit. Is that correct? It was actually really fun. Um, I enjoy pissing people off uh, when it's for the right reason. I mean, I enjoy it all the time, but um, I've discovered recently as an adult that I kind of have to have good reason to do it. It's not a good policy just to go around pissing people off all the time. So it kind of calls back to our uh, Lindsay Schnell interview, if you remember that from a few weeks back. Um, Lindsay was a great interview. Also, Steve was a great interview. And I think really great interviews have a tendency to rub people the wrong way. So have you had a chance to look at the uh, at the Reddit thread and some of the uh, responses we've gotten? Unfortunately, I have not had the chance yet. Man, it was um, so we posted it uh, in Miami. We posted it in uh, the Patriots subreddits, which, you know, obviously talking about Jonathan Martin and uh, Richie Incognito and Ted Johnson. So it was bound to piss some people off. I was shocked how many people did piss off. We actually got a, a Facebook comment as well. I think it was STFU. So a lot of people rubbed the wrong way here. But um, uh, trust no one 333 has been really honest this week. Um, Lee, uh, you're going to have to bleep me here, but I'm going to read it. I got to say, I think this whole podcast is a fat load of shit. So basically, we need to have a big pity party for Ted Johnson because he's too f***ing stupid to retire when he knows he's at the end of his career. But let's blame Bill Belichick because f- self-responsibility. Yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff going down this week. So um, I got to say, I, I actually am just as pleased to get really negative, hateful responses from dumb people as I am to get um, you know good reviews from people that are really bright and really smart. So I feel like when we have an interview like that and it rubs people the wrong way like that, we're doing something right. What do you think? I mean, I think we're doing something right. When you mentioned Ted Johnson, for example, he hosts the afternoon drive show on Sports Radio 610 here in Houston, and our podcast is actually rated higher than his podcast. So I, I think we're doing something right when it comes to that. But yeah, in, interesting conversations there on Reddit. I'm definitely looking forward to getting back to the States and reading some of that content. And I guess for me, just to update the listeners, um, I just arrived 
in Munich, Germany from Tel Aviv, Israel. And I can tell you that was a beautiful country. I was able to go see Jerusalem on Thursday and, you know, kind of tour the old city, go from the, you know, the Jewish quarter to the, uh, the Islamic quarter. And it was just kind of fascinating to see, um, you know, everything from a historical perspective. And I'll tell you what, airport security is no joke when it comes to Tel Aviv and Israel. It took us about an hour and a half to go through security, and uh, I've never felt safer getting on an airplane. Uh, but right now, I'm just currently enjoying uh, the great weather in Munich and uh, looking forward to getting on this podcast and kind of hearing what you guys have to say. But one of the things that I also did is I picked up a few magnets for our sponsors, We Desserts. And uh, Kevin, if you want to go ahead and tell the listeners about We Desserts. I want to talk about the magnets too, because that's important. They have a, uh, a drink machine at the front of the store, and they have had, you know, we talk about customers being uh, part of the family there, being part of the extended group of friends. Uh, customers travel all over the world and bring back magnets from their destinations to put on the drink machine. So when you go by We Desserts at 3411 Kirby, and you should go by because you get 10% off as a listener of this podcast. Um, take a look at the drink machine and see all the magnets because we are starting to fill that thing up with magnets from all over the United States and the world. So, But a uh, big week for we. I actually got uh, their own uh, wireless internet there, and uh, it has now become the perfect place to have you know a business meeting or to take uh, a date or to sit by yourself and browse through the internet while enjoying some beignets or, uh, or some fine macaroons, which they do very well there. So just remember to drop by We Desserts and uh, tell them that the guys the Weekly Brew sent you because you get 10% off of your order, whatever it is you choose to order, and there are millions of delicious things to have there. Yeah, I look forward to stopping by once I return to Houston next week. But uh, again, we also want to remind our listeners that they can follow us on our social media platforms. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find all of our content online at weeklybrewcast.com. Also, we want to make sure that you go to iTunes. We want we want you to give us a five-star review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you're interested in hearing on the podcast. I mean, we're at episode 36, but there's several subjects that we have not touched on. Tell us what subject you would like us to touch on or, you know, give us a segment idea. We definitely definitely are open to that kind of feedback and information. But as mentioned a little bit earlier, I am in Munich, Germany right now. So I'm going to be jumping off of the podcast and letting Kevin and Jeremy take over right now. But uh, one little caveat, we did record a segment a few weeks ago that we are inserting in this episode, which I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, essentially, what we do is we look at all of the political figures that are still alive when it comes to running for president, and we compare them to key sports franchises. And we also play a little guessing game and trying to figure out you know, which key NFL owners or or key figures in sports are supporting which presidential candidate. I think that's a interesting subject that you're going to like. But also, Kevin and Jeremy will be discussing the Mount Rushmore of Houston sports. And uh, Kevin, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, it, uh, just to preview the the guessing game there, um, it was appalling how bad Jeremy was at guessing these. And it was actually <laughs> astounding how good you were at guessing these. So I'm just taking it on faith that you didn't go look up the article before we did the segment because you were on fuego, my friend. I promise you I did not look up the the article. It, it was completely fair and balanced, 100% respectful. Uh, but I'm definitely excited about this week's episode. Kevin, Jeremy, I'm giving you the reins right now, taking over episode 36 of the podcast. So hope everyone enjoys this episode. And I will again join you next week in our Major League Baseball preview with Richard Justice from MLB.com. But as always, it's time to sit back, grab a drink, listen, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. While we've touched on politics several times on The Weekly Brew, we haven't really dove into the lighter side of politics. And uh, Kevin, you found quite the interesting article. I believe it was on CBS Sports that spoke about political candidates and sports figures and who supports who. 
Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, this comes from CBS Sports, so it's not like I uh, dug deep to find this. It was kind of on the front page. I'm amazed you guys didn't see it, but that's sort of the conceit of this segment is that you guys didn't see it. This information comes from OpenSecrets.org, and uh, just going to double-check. Yes, John Solomon is the originator of this article, so thanks to John Solomon from CBS Sports. But um, it kind of dives into who exactly is supporting whom, which is interesting. You guys have not read this, so I'm going to pick out, cherry-pick some of the more interesting uh, people here and have you guys attempt to guess to whom their support is uh, directed. But it's worth noting, first of all, that Trump does not appear on this list because as he has famously stated, um, you know, his, his campaign is primarily supported by his own finances. He does not solicit as many donations as the other candidates. But um, in an interesting note, if you follow Donald Trump on Twitter, and I would highly recommend that you do not, um, he mentioned something about the Ricketts family who own the Chicago Cubs. He says, I, I hear they're secretly spending money against me. He actually says dollar sign apostrophe S, so I guess spending monies against me. They better be careful. They have a lot to hide, which is what an ass. But uh, so we won't we won't mention the Ricketts there, but he actually called out people because of these exact numbers. So uh, just as a side note, people who have publicly supported Trump, uh, I don't know if you guys have read this list of athletes, Dennis Rodman, Terrell Owens, John Rocker, Latrell, Latrell Sprewell, Mike Tyson, Tom Brady. Those are solid endorsements. Are they? Uh, Mike Tyson, of course. I mean, those are uh, rapists, uh, wife beaters, cheaters, um, really just kind of a rogues gallery of the worst in sports. I understand how people could like Tom Brady because he is good looking enough that you don't necessarily look at him and think that's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. Let's be real. Um, and so that is that is quite a motley crew there that he has assembled. But that is all just public support, not, um, you know, uh, voicing their support, not money. The money is a little more interesting. So again, these numbers only go up through December 31st of 2015. So these are not totally 100% up to date, but they are fascinating. So let's go first with some owners. Uh, owners have a lot of money. Um, these candidates are, they run the gamut, obviously. Um, there's both Democrats and Republicans, uh, as you would imagine, probably weighted more toward the right there. And I also, uh, it lists the amount of the donation, which sometimes is the most amusing part here. So I'm going to start you off with Tom Benson. He's the owner of the Saints. Where do you think his money went, and uh, and how much would you would you estimate? These go from anywhere from $250 up to the millions. I'm going to guess that he's conservative because he's from the South. I'm going to, man, I'm going to guess he went for Rubio. Am I right? What do you think, Jeremy? New Orleans is a pretty liberal city. I'm going to say Hillary, actually, um, maybe in the thousands. This is listed in order. So first, he donated to Bobby Jindal. If you guys remember that guy, Bobby Jindal and his super PAC. Former Louisiana governor. Yeah, exactly right. So that's that should have been the uh, the tip there, I think. But um, and then after that, after Bobby Jindal was no longer a factor, the Jeb Bush Super PAC, a hundred thousand dollars, gave a total of twenty seven seven hundred to Bobby Jindal. Uh, moving on to uh, another owner, Mike Brown, owner of the Bengals. Now consider what a losing franchise the Bengals have been over their history. Uh, recent memory aside, um, so this guy likes to pick losers. Uh, that's the tie in there. Who who, who is he contributing his money to? Well, for picking losers, I would go with Donald Trump, but I know that's not the correct answer. Uh, so I'm going to say he's from Cincinnati. Let's go with Kasich. What do you think, Pax? Yeah, I'm going to have to also say John Kasich there. He, there's no way he gets the nomination. And there's, I don't know what it is about this. It's just like a kind of a standard amount here. So these are two guys he donated to, uh, 2700 to Nailed it. Kasich. Excellent work. And Lindsey Graham, um, who is an interesting name that is easy to forget as well. So let's go to the most evil guy in sports. Who am I thinking of here? Jerry Jones. Uh, that is a great guess. He's actually on our list too, but no, not Jerry Jones. Worse than Jerry Jones, even I think. George Steinbrenner. <laughs> my my own my idol uh, attacked him and was suspended from ESPN uh, back when he worked for them. Uh, your idol would be Bill Simmons, 
And so I'm guessing, who did he attack? He attacked several people. Roger Goodell, the Roger NFL Goodell. commissioner. Okay. And if yep. I say if I say the most evil guy in all of sports, I got to say that Roger Goodell should be the name that comes up. Jerry Jones is more harmless than evil. I mean, he's kind of a goof, but but Roger Goodell actually does real harm to people. So Roger Goodell, uh, I can't remember what he makes. What is it, like $42 million a year or something it's ridiculous absurd. like that? So who is he supporting and how much? He's an establishment guy. I'm going to go with Jeb Bush. What do you think, Pax? I'm going to say that Goodell, even though he is evil, he is also smart. Uh, I'm going to say post Jeb since he's not in the campaign anymore. Maybe Marco Rubio. Keep in mind that these numbers are of December 31st, 2015. So there's a lot of candidates still in play that are no longer now. Um, and actually, the guy he supported was a guy that was in play at that point that is no longer. Chris Christie. Chris. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty fascinating. Not surprising. It's... It, Makes sense in retrospect, and how much do you think he gave? The guy makes forty-four million a year, forty-two million a year, something like that. How much did he give? I mean, he pen- he's a penny pincher. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I don't know. I would say a dollar, but I'm guessing five thousand. Twenty-seven hundred. Again, it's kind of a standard amount there. I'm guessing there's like a dinner they went to, and it's like a plate or something like that. But twenty-seven hundred, kind of the standard amount. I need to research why exactly that would be. But yeah, Chris Christie was the guy he supported. They're both kind of loud blowhards. I do think Goodell's probably smarter than Christie, but um, yeah, both. Both guys that I'm not particularly fond of. So next on the list, you kind of jumped the gun there a little bit. First of all, let me say, this is a really rewarding experience to have all the answers in front of me and be quizzing you guys. Um, it, I feel, even though I'm not any smarter than you, just because I have the answers in front of me, I feel very smart. So this is a fun <laughs> segment. I will come up with more of these so that I have the same feeling. Uh, Jerry Jones, owner of the Cowboys. Who did he support and how much? Jerry Jones. Well, I don't know if uh, our listeners remember, but uh, Chris Christie and Jerry Jones had a very awkward uh, hug during a Cowboys game here not too long ago. So uh, that might, that sounds like the easy answer. So I'm going to go with no. I'm actually going to say Jerry Jones supported Ted Cruz, being a fellow Texan. Uh, supported Ted Cruz in the, I don't know, let's go with the $2,700 mark. Jerry Jones is from Arkansas. So my thought would be he would support Bill Clinton, a.k.a. Hillary Clinton. But I also know that he's a guy from Texas, a guy from Arkansas, part of the South. I'm going to go with Chris Christie or Jeb Bush. You can't go with or. What if he endorsed both of them? That's a a fair point. And we'll actually get to a guy who endorsed the most, uh, who is a Houston figure here in a little bit. But, uh, okay, so J-Pax, you talked yourself out of it. The awkward hug was right. He supported Chris Christie to the tune of $2,700. That also kind of makes sense. Again, guys that are kind of shady, mob-like, seem to support Chris Christie. It's kind of a theme that comes up as you go through these numbers here. So guys that feel like they might have mob connections support the guy who seems like he might have mob connections. So uh, this is an interesting breakdown here. We have the Manning family. So Eli and Peyton supported one guy. Who's that guy and how much? Okay, they're both from the South, both from Mississippi. Uh, They have roots in Louisiana. So I think that makes them conservative. And uh, I don't know. I think they're kind of like a good old boy, daddy type. Yeah, I don't know. I see the good old boy, daddy type system with R.G. Manning. So to me, that means they probably have a lot of similarities. But that means they probably have a lot of similarities with the Bush family. I'm going to go with Jeb. Nailed it. Eli and Peyton support Jeb. However, Archie, um, who is an ex-Saints quarterback, put his support behind someone else. Would that be Bobby Jindal? That would be Bobby Jindal. You guys are really uh, finding your stride here. Yeah, Bobby Jindal for Archie and Jeb Bush for the other two. It's amazing when you look down this list how much money has been thrown away at Jeb Bush. And obviously, we've seen the figures. We know that number's huge. But it's really kind of puts a face to this issue when you when you see all the athletes that are lining up support him and, uh, and how poorly he actually did. Uh, Emmett Smith, obviously NFL Hall of Famer Emmett Smith, 
Who do you support and how much? Hmm. Ah, gosh, you know, I, I'm just not at all familiar with Emmett Smith. I'm just going to take a wild guess here and say, uh, gosh, Ben Carson. That's a little bit racist, Jeremy. <laughs> with Hillary Clinton. <laughs> wait, why is that racist? I mean, wait, we haven't. Ben Carson has, hasn't been mentioned once. I figure we may as well. <laughs> I may as well get a uh, his his mention. In. But okay, well, if we want to redo that, all right. Um, Emmett Smith. I'm going to say Ted Cruz again. I'm going to. I I I have to believe that one of these guys has supported Ted Cruz. I don't think anybody supports Ted Cruz, um, except outside of your family, Jeremy. But his uh, own daughter me, won't kiss whoa. him. <laughs> hey, the guy's won like seven states. Give him some credit here, okay? <laughs> I'm going to say that you know we haven't had we haven't had a democratic answer yet. I'm going to go with Hillary Clinton. You know, he does seem like a guy that you would expect to put some money towards the Democrats. No, it's a it's a Republican. It is Jeb Bush. Anyone want to guess the amount here? 5,000. 500. Which when you look at this list and the amount of money on it, that's almost it's almost like why bother? $500. But yeah, Emmett Smith obviously <laughs> a big figure. Hank Aaron. This one might interest you guys. Obviously MLB Hall of Famer, one of the greatest to ever play. Hank Aaron. Who did he support and how much? That's a tough one. We don't have any former baseball players or athletes. I'm going to go with Hillary. I'm going to say, being an older gentleman, he's wiser than he was in his youth, and he's finally decided to vote Republican. Uh, I'm going to go with Jeb Bush here. It is Hillary. Way to go. Austin, you are on fire. I don't know if you've gotten one right yet, J-Pax, but Austin, are you looking at this? Did you look up this article when I told you not to? I am not cheating. I promise. I'm I'm, I'm going to call Austin on this. I think he's cheating. Absolutely. (laughs) You can look at my computer right now. I've got Audacity up. I've got Google Drive up. I have... Uh, Adobe Premiere Pro up, and I have TweetDeck up. I do not have this article in front of me. I promise. If there is one Austin, thing, Austin, I looked at your computer one time, and I saw some really messed up stuff. I don't want to look at it again. If there's one thing that people say about Austin Staden, it is that he is an honest stand-up guy, um, and so I do believe you. Your reputation precedes you. Uh, I think you're just really nailing it. So congratulations already. Here's another one: Kurt Schilling, uh, pitcher, obviously. Uh, and this one's a little bit odd to me, but uh, so you got the former Red Sox great there. Uh, blood in the socks, that whole thing. Who did he support and how much? Well, I can tell you that just from what I know, Kurt Schilling is very, very conservative. Um, I would guess that he probably supported Ted Cruz. To give an alternative, Marco Rubio. It is actually Ben Carson. I was I was really? cherry-picking ah. for you, J-Pax, because it was no... And $250. $250 for Ben Carson. So he must really believe or have <laughs> believed in Carson's campaign. And we got a couple of NBA ones here. Jason Collins, uh, who you guys... Uh, I'm sure know from the headlines uh, about two, three years ago, um, ex-center in the NBA. Uh, who did he support? I think that's pretty easy. Uh, Hillary Clinton's been very open about her uh, advancement for LGBT rights. So I'm going to I'm going to go with Hillary Clinton. I mean, I'm going to say Bernie. You know what? I'll say Bernie. I'm going to say he's uh, he's a little bit further along in the progressive train. Now, you may recall, of course, Bernie also brags about not having big time support from big time donors. So I don't know if Bernie's name even appears on this list, to be honest. Um, once again, you talked yourself out of a right answer, J-Pax. It's Hillary Clinton, and logic prevails. Obviously, LGBT rights, Jason Collins uh, famously came out while a player in the NBA. So that's uh, Hillary Clinton for 2700 Then we got uh, Pat Riley and Adam Silver. They support different people. Pat Riley, uh, obviously the president of the Heat, uh, the engineer of one of those greatest teams we've ever seen there with the big three. Um, who did he give his money to and how much did he give? Pat Riley, he's a, he spent a lot of time in Florida. He was, you know, played basketball at Kentucky, so I'm guessing he's conservative. I'm guessing he donated to Jeb Bush. Just for the sake of it, Marco Rubio. Jeb Bush again. Austin, you are on fire, brother. You are as right as Jeremy is. Yes. Wrong. 
every time. All uh, well, hey, I'm I'm I'm, I'm I, I have some faith that some of these guys are going for non-establishment, and they rarely do now that I'm seeing. See, it's Jeb Bush or Hillary, like across the board. And Adam Silver, uh, progressive guy, uh, you know, obviously wants to. Um, somehow work in legalized gambling into the NBA. He's very progressive about the rules, about expanding overseas. Who does Adam Silver support? For once, I'm going to say Hillary. Yeah, I kind of agree with Jeremy here. I think that you gave it away by using the term progressive. I know that's something I know in my heart that that is a word that you would not use to describe anyone that would vote for a Republican. So I'm going to say that gives us two options, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, and nobody seems to be backing Bernie, so it's got to be Hillary. You're right. I did give that one away. I did a poor job with that one. Uh, And just uh, for you, JPEX, here is, uh, I don't even know, the owner of the Hurricanes, the NHL. Anybody know this guy? Peter Karamanos? Karamanos? It looks Greek to me. Uh, 2700 Marco Rubio. And Mike Fisher, the center for the Predators. I could not name the city that the NHL Predators play in because I don't care for the NHL at all. Ted Cruz, $500. That's the first time I've seen his name appear on the list. The most interesting to me and the most relevant to Houston uh, would probably have to be Bob McNair. Um, And if you look at his name on this list here, there are one, two, three, nine, nine entries here. He supported Lindsey Graham, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, Ted Cruz, Carly Fiorina, and Mike Huckabee, all to the tune of 500k a piece. It's $500,000 a piece for those six, and then an extra 2,700 to Fiorina again, Lindsey Graham, and Marco Rubio again. So that guy is really covering all of his right wing bases. <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing less than what you'd expect from a guy who's a billionaire and a, a very important figure in the Republican electorate you know kevin looking at all of this money that was donated to jeb bush i think that might have bought him a sum total of 20 votes in iowa what do you guys think i just i saw somewhere where someone broke down how much he spent it was like eight thousand dollars per delegate vote that he got i mean it was something insane like that and uh it was it was quite a waste and obviously people like to throw their money around he did seem like he was the front runner early on just because of the name and, and the cachet and so forth and um i don't know it's it does kind of warm my heart to see that much money spent and have it not make a shred of difference. Kevin, that was a fascinating conversation. It, it, I loved how we interacted, you know, both sports and politics together. But let's take it one step further. Let's take the two front runners in each political party. That's Donald Trump and Ted Cruz on the Republican side and then Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders on the Democratic side. And I'm curious from both of you, if you're comparing each of those political candidates to a professional sports team, what team would each candidate be and why? Trump is the Dallas Cowboys. He is loud, boisterous. Um, criminals support him, much like criminals make up a large part of the Dallas Cowboys uh, roster. He's just kind of a, um, a really noticeable blight on his field, just as the Cowboys are a very noticeable blight on the NFL. And uh, I think there's a lot of parallels there in terms of the uh, supporters. I think you'll find a lot of Trump supporters or Cowboy supporters and vice versa. So I think that there's no question in my mind that uh, Trump is sort of the embodiment in the political system of the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, and obviously, you guys know I'm not a big fan of the Cowboys. I detest them just as I detest Donald Trump. Well, I actually agree with Kevin on something. Uh, I, I do think Donald Trump uh, fits in really well with Cowboys. But if we're talking baseball, I think that the New York Yankees organization um, is like Donald Trump, like none other. And um, nothing shows this just by the general way that the Yankees are perceived by people who are not Yankees fans. Uh, Yankees fans themselves are a lot like Donald Trump supporters. They're sort of obnoxious. They're not nice to be around, uh, especially at uh, their games or one of his rallies. So um, I just, you know, I, I 
cannot say. You, you either love the Yankees or you hate them. So I, I can't think of a better uh, sports franchise to represent Donald Trump than, than the New York Yankees. I'm going to have to agree with Kevin on this one. I definitely think uh, the Yankees are a great analysis, but they've won 27 championships, and I don't see Donald winning the presidency. So I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. I, I think that uh, you know they're an isolating franchise. Uh, I, I think you either love them or you hate them, and it's the same thing with Donald Trump. You either love them or you hate them. And uh, when it counts, you know that they always have great expectations at the start of the year, but when it comes to the playoffs, they always collapse. And I think that's what Donald Trump is going to do at the general election in November. But let's move on real quick to the Democratic side. I'm curious, Hillary Clinton, which pro franchise? I actually think that Hillary is better suited to be the New York Yankees. I hate to reuse them, but she is the establishment candidate. She has all of the money, all the support from people that are already on the inside. She's a name. Obviously, the Clinton name is, um, you know, uh, tantamount to royalty in uh, in American politics. So I do think that she is kind of that front running. Uh, big time support. Uh, what I'm more interested in personally is Bernie. I mean, who do you compare Bernie to? I I, I think the Sacramento Kings. Uh, you know, the way they're sort of um, on the fringe in a lot of ways. And maybe I think that, you know, as much as I like Bernie, his chances of success are probably just as good this year as the Kings are. Interesting take. I I'm going to go ahead and say for Hillary Clinton, I, I like where your head is at with the establishment and the New York Yankees. But I'm going to go with another baseball team. I'm going to go with the St. Louis Cardinals, who are the National League establishment. You know, they've been to the World Series only second to the New York Yankees. They have the second most titles in Major League Baseball. But recently, they were investigated by the FBI. And the reason why was a hacking scandal with the Houston Astros uh, scouting department, actually. So there's some ongoing investigation. Criminal charges are actually uh, going to happen. I don't know that they're going to happen with Hillary Clinton, but I think that's a great similarity. It's establishment. It's got a legal scenario. Uh, They're always up there as a front runner. I'm going to go with that for Hillary. And then for Bernie Sanders, I'm going to go with young, hip, something where... Uh, a franchise which you're going to have a lot of bandwagon fans. Let's go with the Seattle Seahawks. I think that would be a natural fit. Uh, a lot of people jumping on that Seahawks bandwagon. You've got a a young-ish coach and Pete Carroll who I think has some crazy ideas. And I think Bernie Sanders has some crazy ideas as well. So I think that's a perfect match. And Jeremy, I, I guess... I'm curious who you think. Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, tell me the franchise. Obviously, this one's out there. You know, I, I thought about Hillary Clinton. I just sort of drew a blank. Uh, but the Internet, of course, being uh, the cesspool that it is, um, the most common association with Hillary Clinton in a sports team is, of course, the New England Patriots. Uh, plenty of scandal uh, with both Hillary and the Patriots. You have Benghazi uh, and Deflategate. I mean, those those two are just two peas in a pod. I can't think of a better... Uh, sports team to sum up the Hillary Clinton campaign and her potential candidacy. Um, in terms of Bernie, I, <laughs> I'm going to have to go outside the country for this one. Uh, Bernie Sanders uh, is best represented by the national football team for the failed socialist state of Venezuela. Um, of course, it, it just hold on, just to lend credence to this comparison, just this past Wednesday, Nicolas Maduro, the wacky, crazy um, prime minister, whatever he is, of a dictator of Venezuela, uh, praised Bernie Sanders in some very warm remarks. Um, so, you know, it, it, and of course, like the football team, Venezuela's uh, soccer team hasn't been relevant for the last 50 years. Uh, They don't really do a whole lot when it comes to big matches, which I can't, you know, when I see Bernie Sanders coming up against uh, Hillary Clinton and all of her superdelegates, it's going to go the same way. So um, 
yeah, it's uh, Bernie Sanders, definitely just like Venezuela's failed soccer team. Interesting bringing in some soccer chatter here, but let's go with the final candidate who is essentially in the final four for, uh, you know, the Democratic and Republican side, Ted Cruz, kind of a polarizing figure. Jeremy, Kevin, who is he like? Which franchise? Oh, God, Ted Cruz. Who's the who's the really evil team that Hogwarts played against in Quidditch? Um, I can't remember the name of it. That's what he reminds me of. Just a really evil, dark, unlikable person. I can't, I wish I could remember the name of the team that Hogwarts played against. But yeah, that's who it'd have to be. Uh, in the wizarding world, he looks sort of dark and sinister. I liken him to one of those teams that um, Hogwarts ultimately ended up beating. I'm going to have to say any team from Canada, like hockey, uh, maybe <laughs> Canadian Football League. I mean, any team from Canada. But um, one, uh, one thing I did read compared him to a football team made up solely of Tim Tebow's. So um, sort of very kind of on the religious side, uh, kind of a flash in the pan, and then eventually they sort of putter out, um, which is where the Cruz campaign might be going if they can't beat if he can't beat Donald. So uh, yeah, that's kind of all I've got for poor Ted Cruz. So for me, I'm going to go with another baseball reference, and that is going to be the Montreal Expos slash the Washington Nationals. And Jeremy, you kind of stole a little bit of my thunder here, but uh, for most of you know, Montreal Expos, they moved to D.C. in the capital uh, probably about 10 years ago. And uh, Ted Cruz, obviously being born in uh, being born in Canada, and, you know, Donald Trump saying that, you know, he's Canadian and all this, but he does have, you know, a strong base here in Texas, and uh, he made his way to Washington to represent the state and the U.S. Senate. So I'm going to go with that. Definitely an interesting conversation. And if you're listening to this right now, we want you to go to Facebook, go to our Facebook page, tell us which politician you think matches up best with a pro sports franchise. We'll read some of the best responses next week on the podcast, but a great conversation, guys. Really love this political and sports segment. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. So as previously stated, Austin off uh, gallivanting in the Middle East and Germany, um, exploring the world, which, as I stated earlier, I've never been out of the country. So he's sort of a foil to me. He's, he's very moderate and measured and diplomatic um, and well-traveled. And I'm very provincial and uh, sort of a lambast, I think, um, which is why we work well as a team. So just you and me, Jeremy, uh, how are you doing this week and what have you gotten into? Oh, man, I, I'm doing great. Uh, it's been a wild week. I kind of capped it off last night seeing uh, Batman v Superman, Zack Snyder's latest outing as director. Um, to, for, for anyone who's wondering who hasn't seen it yet, um, I won't give you any spoilers, but uh, it's my opinion that they shouldn't let Zack Snyder anywhere near the director's chair for a comic book franchise. Um, yeah, he I saw uh, Watchmen, this film, 300. He just, I just don't think he's got it in him to, to do what needs to be done with these uh, characters and the story. So um, not a huge fan of the film itself, but I went in with really low expectations and I was kind of pleasantly surprised. Overall, it was good. Um, so I, I, uh, I, I did overall like the film, even though I just I could tell from a director's standpoint, he just wasn't doing what I wanted to do what, or what I wanted to see done in this movie. Have you seen the uh, video of Ben Affleck responding to, uh, I, I posted on my own personal Facebook a couple days ago, Ben Affleck responding to negative reviews sitting next to Henry Cavill? I did, you know, and I had this kind of personal disdain for Ben Affleck, and I, I, I was really able to uh, you know, satiate that uh, appetite of mine uh, with that video. It was actually really funny just to see him disappointed, even though I felt like he did an okay job as a Batman. I, I was really, you know, back when they announced him as the, the actor for that role, uh, he just got just people put him on blast on Twitter and in social media. And I kind of felt like it was undeserved. And I, I feel like overall, you know, he, he heard that. And I think that he did sort of step up in a way um, to, to sort of counter that uh, expectation that he would just be this terrible Batman. I actually didn't think he was the worst part of the movie. So, uh, but yeah, it was really funny to see sad Ben 
Um, of course, you know, if you're familiar with Ben Affleck's personal life, this is not the first time he's been sad about something. So, um, yeah, it was actually quite humorous. His personal life is of little concern to me, but I, I, I am going to see it in moments, actually, when we get done recording here. That is uh, as part of my weekend, my Easter weekend. I'm going to treat myself because uh, people that have followed my work, um, you can go to my website, kmichaelcook.wordpress.com. All my old writing is, is stored there. But I used to write for uh, Dave at backstageol.com. We've had Dave on here to talk movies before, and um, we had a philosophical disagreement because if you know Dave at all. He's very sunny, very upbeat. He loves making friends, uh, shaking hands, getting to know people. He's never met an actor I think that he didn't like or have something nice to say about. And I'm precisely the opposite. I dislike everything. I'm a very critical reviewer. And uh, one of his criticisms to me as I was working for him was that you're always too negative about movies and reviews. And it's just because I delight in being negative. It's fun to be negative, to be a hater, and to have a really uh, harsh take on something. So I am looking forward to going to see that movie and um, having all of my negative expectations met and just uh, reveling and and denigrating it for a while, which is probably what I'll do afterwards. I may I may go write uh, a piece for no one because I don't review movies professionally anymore. I may just go write a piece for my own personal website if I uh, <laughs> if I hate it that much, which I anticipate that I will. So you brought uh, to my attention an old Texas Monthly article, but uh, one that is still relevant to us. This is from uh, what, 2015, I think, March or May, something like that. And uh, if you could, uh, we'll, we'll post a link to it on the website. But synopsize for me what resonated with you out of this article. Yeah, so uh, it's already like Texas Monthly. I mean, if you're if you're thinking about Houston sports and what it's like to be a Houston sports fan. I grew up in Houston and lived here most of my life. Um, it, it's hard. It's a really tough time to be a Houston sports fan uh, with, you know, we have these punctuated successes here and there, but overall it's it's just a rough, it's a rough time. Uh, the title of this article is Misery City. Houston is the saddest sports town in America. And it really encapsulates for the most part, my thoughts of what it is to be a a Houston sports fan, um, you know, and and that save the two national championships from '94 to '95 with the Houston Rockets under the leadership of Rudy T. It's 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 hard, you know. If we talk about baseball. I mean, the the only World Series that the Astros went to, they got swept. Or you know, the Texans are just sort of this milk toast team that you know kind of makes it to the playoffs, but then never does anything. Um, yeah, it just it really just resonated with me. Like, wow, that is really what it's like to be Houston sports fan. I mean, I I, I think we're in terms of nationally, I think we have it the worst out of any town in the country with three major sports teams. That's an interesting point. And of course we do have the championships uh, from 94, 95, but as the article mentions, those championships are often put down because they were when Michael Jordan wasn't playing. Although to be factually correct, Michael Jordan was playing in 95. They just didn't uh, make it to the finals. But, um, but yeah, if, as I go through these moments it's interesting to note how frequently uh, Houston as a town is like a footnote to someone else's great success. So you look at like the Buffalo Bills uh, game, the the catch, no catch. Um, you look at like uh, Jimmy Valvano, survive in advance, right? Like we were the overdog to the NC State's underdog in that um, in that NCAA championship game. And actually there's a 30 for 30 about it. It's a great 30 for 30. And Houston is the um, the bad guy that they have to kind of get past and defeat, you know, the, the, the super team, whatever, that they sort of upset. And it's so frequently in our history, the Chicago White Sox, the, the World Series you mentioned, 88-year uh, drought, you know, <laughs> and we were the ones that, that ended that. So we are, it seems to me, I don't know if we have it the worst of any city. Um, some other cities like Cleveland and Buffalo are talked about in that article, but it does seem like Houston's uh, destiny up to this point has been to be a footnote to someone else's story. Um, they're always kind of like the, the second place team and another really great story that didn't quite make it. Right. And I, I think I, I cannot, when I, when I think of Houston, as a sports city and how terrible it is. I, I can't not think of a t-shirt that someone made here a couple of years ago, um, you know, since uh, 2008, the Astros, with the exception of last year, have just been 
terrible. And somebody had Lastro's, you know, um, on their T-shirt, and then someone was wearing this around, and it just was like, God. I mean, I know, I, I know, it's you know, we 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 may not have it as bad as some cities at certain times, but it just, uh, it really just hits home for me. And I, I've sort of emotionally disconnected from being a Houston sports fan. Like I, I root for teams here, but I, I just don't get into it because I'm just so, I, I just expect to be hurt at some point. You know, I, I need a, I need a team out of the city that I can believe in and I can see win uh, on a national level, just at some point here. I don't care if it's the, the, the Texans, the Rockets or the Astros. I need one of those three to succeed at some point here in the near future. Well, I think of all of them, uh, there's much to be excited about with both the Rockets and the Astros. Uh, getting rid of Dwight Howard will be addition by subtraction. I think going forward, obviously with the cap rising, I think Houston's an attractive destination. You know, there's no uh, state income tax. Uh, Charles Barkley <laughs> used to say that the city was famous for its, uh, you know, uh, strip joints that never closed. He used a more colorful language. But uh, so there's reason to believe that people might want to come here. I think that there is reason to be hopeful about the future. But this week we wanted to, um, in Austin's absence, uh, come up with a fun segment, look back towards Houston's storied past. And so, you know, one thing that's often talked about on sports talk shows, and, and we're no different here, is like, who would go on your Mount Rushmore? So we posed the question to Reddit, um, to kind of generate some ideas and some discussion. So thank you to all the Redditors out there who responded. You guys did a great job as always. But um, if you had to, you know, Mount Rushmore, if you guys are not familiar with the uh, with the national landmark, obviously has four of our great presidents on it. The idea being that if you had a Mount Rushmore for like Houston sports, you had the four greatest sports figures on it. And I'm just curious, uh, you know, people do these exercises all the time. They're arbitrary, they're meaningless. They're just ways to talk about sports and history in ways that are interesting. But, but for you, Jeremy, what are the rules, um, written or unwritten, about how to come up with uh, a Mount Rushmore? I mean, how do you formulate the four best people to put on that, you know, hypothetical landmark? Um, you know, I when I was thinking about this, I was thinking that you, you had it wasn't just you know stats. It it couldn't have just been uh, you know Pro Bowls or All Star teams. It had you had to leave some sort of mark on the city. Um, and so uh, whether you know, and of course, in my mind, I can't not think about the ninety four ninety five Rockets. Um, and all that they did and the, 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 the players and the coach and everything that came out of that and the, the, the mark that they're still having now um, with, uh, you know, they just had their 20-year reunion here uh, from that title. So um, they had to leave something behind for the city to, like, hold on to. Um, and, and that's, that's one thing. Uh, and then uh, another criteria I came up with is they had to make some sort of impact in the broader field, you know, not just for Houston, but... Um, one of my, I'll, I'll get into this later, but one of my players was, uh, you know, the, the, he was the first African-American, uh, to be inducted into the pro football hall of fame as a quarterback. So, um, I, I, you know, you had to do something for Houston. You don't leave a mark on the city. And then you also had to do something. I feel like for the rest of the field. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. We will get to that. He's on my, he's on my nearly list, my honorable mentions list. Um, but for me, I think that. It has to be a figurehead in the sense that not only did they play well, but they also meant something larger to the city. And I think about inspiring um, feelings and emotions afterwards. So, for instance, uh, my dad's a Rockets season ticket holder. I frequently go to Rockets games. Um, Austin's been there with me before. I'm hoping to get you out to one soon. But um, whenever they play the intro, you know, the dream on, uh, oh, my God, it gets me. You know, they had the, the shot. Rudy Tomjanovich, you know, uh, don't never underestimate the heart of a champion. Or uh, or Hakeem with the dream shake, embarrassing David Robinson and uh, just looking amazing 
amazing. And those moments really get to me. So I think that when you're thinking about who you're going to put on that Mount Rushmore, who is the most important, they have to have, yeah, a lasting impact for sure. Um, but also like a lasting emotional legacy. And I also personally value ties to the city and ties to the team. So like longevity within a particular organization or within the city itself. So I give points and credit to people who are still in Houston, people who are still associated with Houston sports franchises, who still do things within the city of Houston, which disqualified some really great guys. But in any case, uh, there were a couple of people that were disqualified because they, like Nolan Ryan is another good example. A guy that's often brought up, often mentioned, but played the majority of his career elsewhere. And um, so I, I value guys that are still, and come on, he's associated with the Texas Rangers, which would be a rival franchise. So uh, that disqualifies him for me. So just, I'm going to run down the list real quick that I was calling from. And if you have anyone to add to this, please do. But um, based on my research and what I was talking about here, I had Hakeem Olajuwon, Earl Campbell, Craig Biggio, Clyde Drexler, Rudy Tomjanovich, Nolan Ryan, Brian Ching was an interesting one. Uh, and I gave him a great deal of consideration. Obviously, he was an MLS player for the Houston Dynamo and the U.S. Men's National Team. Um, Carl Lewis, Warren Moon, J.J. Watt, Jeff Bagwell, Andre Johnson, Roy Hoffines, uh, Bum Phillips, Guy V. Lewis, Bill Yeoman, and then an interesting one that someone from Reddit came up with. Thank you again for the Redditors. Um, Arrows player Gordy Howe, who, again, was another guy that played most of his career elsewhere. Um, but <laughs> some interesting stuff about Gordy Howe. Um, and I discovered uh, an interesting factoid about him. They call it the Gordy Howe hat trick, which is to get a goal, an assist, and a fight all in one game that was named after him. So he's he's on my honorable mention list as well. But is there anybody you were considering that uh, is on your list and not on mine? Yeah, so uh, I had uh, Warren Moon. And uh, I, actually, I think he's the only one that was not on your list. Um, and I'll explain why later. And then, of course, from the Reddit thread, I have to I have to give them up. And I don't want to reference our earlier talk, but soul-crushing disappointment. If it had a face, we could totally put it on uh, the Mount Rushmore of uh, Houston sports. So um, no, a little joke there. But... But seriously, I, I think Warren Moon is the only one. Otherwise, I had you know I had Earl Cameron, Warren Moon, Hakeem, Clyde Drexler, Rudy T, kind of all the regulars. I didn't have you know it's interesting about your list. I didn't have any players that are currently still playing. Uh, JJ Watt is interesting for that reason. I, I thought it, another criteria is that they had to have already been retired. I don't know why that's just sort of arbitrary, but um, I, I guess it's because in my mind his legacy is not done yet. And, you know, he, we don't know, you know, if he's going to stay in Houston for the rest of his career, if he's going to move. Um, but it is true that he does have an undeniable emotional connection to the city. And when you think of the Houston Texans, it's it's hard to not think immediately of J.J. Watt. My favorite Reddit post was from Josh Poino. Uh, shout out to Josh Poino. And his response was three words uh, when we posted saying who would be on your Mount Rushmore. He said, just Matt Schaub. So I want to get into I want to get into some lesser known names here. Um or at least lesser known to millennials or, or, or uh, people that are likely listening to podcasts. Uh, how familiar are you with Roy Hoffines? I actually not. I, I don't know who that is off the top of my head. People that have been to the University of Houston, uh, whether attended or been there for other reasons, Hoffines Pavilion is named after him. He was, uh, this is like 1950s through 70s. He was kind of active in the Houston scene. He was a county judge. He was a one-time city mayor. His son, Fred Hoffines, was actually elected mayor as well. Um, and he basically was the head of the Houston Sports Association that created the Colt 45s, which of course eventually became the Astros, and built the Astrodome, uh, kind of pioneered the building of the Astrodome, which was of course known for a long time as the eighth wonder of the world. I think people looking at it now filled with rats and asbestos can kind of forget how impactful that actually was, sort of the, the two-pronged attack of bringing an MLB franchise to Houston and of building the Astrodome. He also worked with Monsanto uh, to create AstroTurf. So this is back before they were doing, I guess, horrible things, which is what they're known for now, and 
and, uh, and helped invented AstroTurf. I mean, the guy is really kind of all through the history of sports in a way that I thought was extremely fascinating. Um, he also owned the Houston Stars, which is a really, really old soccer team that played here in Houston. So a guy, a name that's not likely to come up in modern conversations much, but old timers will certainly um, recall back to Roy Hoffheins and, uh, and sort of the contributions that he made. And he's responsible for bringing the Astros to the city and for building the Astrodome. Oh, that's a huge deal. I mean, you, you don't, as a, <clears throat> as a Houstonian, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, relatively young compared to people who are around for the, for the opening of the Astrodome. I've actually, my dad was there opening day uh, back in 19, I think the late 60s is when it opened. But, um, you yeah, know, that's really a, a, a huge deal for, uh, yeah, I mean, that guy absolutely qualifies um, as someone who could be eligible for the, for our Mount Rushmore. But, um, yeah, that's a huge deal. Because, I mean, right now, the Astrodome almost stands as a, as a, a monolith of <laughs> what I feel like Houston sports is right now, just sort of in this stagnation. But, um, yeah, no, that's that's insane. Another uh, lesser known name that I was kind of looking at, or he shouldn't be lesser known. I really am not sure how familiar modern uh, younger people are with his name, but obviously Wade Phillips, well known in this city um, and beloved too, deservedly so. His father, Bum Phillips, of course, was the coach of the Oilers from uh, 1975 to 1980. Was also the GM, so head coach and GM, which you see is kind of a um, becoming more common now. You have obviously failed figures like Chip Kelly. You have like Doc Rivers. Um, there, that's a, that's sort of becoming a trend in the league now, but back in the day, uh, he sort of originated that and uh, led them to a 59-38 record during his tenure. Obviously, the two AFC championship losses um, and then spent the rest of his career with the Saints. Bum Phillips, though, may be most notable for some of his really good quotes. I don't know how familiar people are with him, but uh, he was a Dallas Cowboy hater way back when. And he he said, uh, the Dallas Cowboys may be America's team, but the Houston Oilers are Texas team, which is that kind of... Um, I love that sort of spark that he had. But uh, he was once asked by Bob Costas why uh, he took his uh, wife on all the Oilers road trips. And he told Bob Costas, because she's too ugly to kiss goodbye. Which, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's one of my favorites. Um, And then uh, Warren Moon, this is a famous quote. I'm sure you've heard it. When he was talking about Warren Moon, he said that boy could throw a football through a car wash and not get it wet. Bum Phillips, you know, it's uh, when I think about the Houston Oilers, I mean, he is the patron saint of the love you blue era you know when cheering for houston sports was almost like uh, cheering for your college football team i mean they, we had the uh, the song and the the fanfare and everything uh, that goes into college sports and um you know talking to my parents about bum phillips he in their minds he sort of originated um or at least in part for the modern era that sort of rivalry that houston and dallas have you know that sort of uh, the, that discontent that the Houston people have for Dallas teams, and this sort of notion that the Dallas people have about the Cowboys. Yeah, they are America's team. So you know, Bum Phillips is just a, a, a patron saint, in my opinion, for Houston sports. Um, definitely deserves consideration to be on the to be on Mount Rushmore. Let me let me try reading this one because I'm not even sure how how one would read it given the accent that I have. Um, but he was talking about uh, Miami Dolphins coach Don Shula, and has also said the same thing about Bear Bryant. He said um, he can take hisen and beat yorn and take yorn and beat hisen so i'm not sure exactly how someone with a draw would probably read that better than i would but uh but that's a famous quote as well and then probably my favorite this is uh after a night of film review he's reviewing film with sid gilman and uh watching and bum phillips started to doze off and gilman apparently woke him and said hey bum what are you doing man this is better than making love and phillips's response uh, immediately was either i don't know how to watch film sid or you don't know how to make love 
which I think is a pretty great quote. So Bump Phillips, very quotable, but again, not significant enough, I think, to make it onto the top four figures you would have in Houston sports. Uh, who are some of the honorable mentions you had that didn't make it onto your top four? Honorable mentions, um, you know, this might come as a shock. I don't think that uh, two fan favorites, Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio, deserve to be on the Mount Rushmore. And that's only because um, while they are two good players, um, I just... I think for me personally, the the bad taste in my mouth I had from all the things that the Astros did leading up to their 2005 loss to the White Sox. Um, I, I saw them as two good players that weren't necessarily great and certainly not great in um, the annals of sport. I mean, they're very good and they deserve to be considered um, honorable mention at least, but definitely not making it to my top four. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. And I think that uh, the Astros don't automatically get a spot on this because they haven't achieved enough in their history. So yeah, they made it to the World Series. As we mentioned, they were swept. But Biggio did spend his whole career with the Astros. 88-07 to was a seven-time NL All-Star. Um, you can reel off his stats. You know, he's a 3,000 hitter, uh, 281 career batting average, um, I think four-time three or four gold glove uh, award winner. And uh, he was actually the first National Baseball Hall of Fame uh, member to be depicted in Astros uniform, which would make his case over Bagwell, I think, who's still waiting to get in. But um, I kind of, in looking at both Biggio and Bagwell, I agree. They're both great players. If you're talking about the Houston Astros Mount Rushmore, I think probably you can make a case for them both having uh, a spot at the table there. But they're almost indistinguishable from one another in terms of which you'd place over the other. And I'm not sure that the Astros merit uh, a slot on that at all. So for me, uh, both Biggio and Bagwell also made honorable mentions. Guys that certainly deserve to be brought up in a conversation about the greatest of all time in Houston and who had an impact. And, and Biggio um, actually does a lot of work you know, in Houston still. He's, he's very closely tied with the city. I, I'm, I've been told that everybody that meets him likes him. But ultimately not deserving one of those top four slots. And it's, it, four is arbitrary. There's four presidents on Mount Rushmore. There's four slots. You know, Biggio deserves to have his name brought up, but I agree. He didn't make mine either. Yeah, uh, I, I think when I'm looking at both of those guys, um, Biggio definitely, I, I think Bagwell was kind of gimmicky with his stance and uh, just sort of the, the image that he projected. But um, I mean, very, very good players overall. I just always remember like thinking to myself when I was, you know, kind of a, uh, an early, a young adult, like these, these are good players that are keeping us from being a great team. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, uh, but it, in my mind, it means that we we could have made better decisions as a club to make um, that World Series happen and actually come out with a win. Um, but I, I don't know. I just I, both of those guys, they just to me, when I think about I think of the, the disappointment from that era. Um, and of course, um, both of them, I'm sure they're great guys. And yeah, they absolutely did do a lot for the city and still are. Um, but they, they're just not breaking my top four. What about, did we talk about J.J. Watt yet? We did talk a little bit about J.J. Yeah, we, uh, we, we talked about how, uh, or I said that I don't think his legacy is cemented yet. I don't even think he deserves, if, if anything, he breaks honorable mention for me, not, but not really in consideration for the top four. Well, because he's been playing since 2011, and what he's done since 2011 has been, um, you could say it's been unprecedented. You're talking about the first NFL player to record 20-plus sack seasons, uh, two, in a career, and... Um, he obviously holds the Texas uh, Texans franchise record for sacks and fumbles. So, you know, he's a guy who's clearly built up an impressive resume, uh, you know, an all-world all, all world class resume 
through you know five years of playing, but they, again, there's only the five seasons. So four-time uh, first-team All-Pro, uh, three-time AP NFL Defensive Player of the Year, two-time NFL Sacks leader. He's looking like he's on a career trajectory that will take him onto that Mount Rushmore status, particularly since there's nobody in the Texans franchise to challenge him. He's the only notable player I think we have um, of that caliber, but it's just too early. You know, it, the Texans haven't accomplished anything yet. He hasn't made a lasting impact yet. He's just an electric player currently in the moment that people love to watch. Uh, but I, I do think that, you know, he's, he's kind of, um, He's, he's in the hopper. He basically will probably reach those heights if he continues to do what he's doing for you know a respectable number of years. And, uh, and certainly the guy seems to have the work ethic and the charisma and personality to be one of those figures you remember, not just for his play on the field, but also for what he did off of it. So, um, yeah, But just too early to tell. He's a young guy still, and he'll probably be on that list eventually. Yeah, apart from his cheesy HB commercials, um, he definitely will, I think, be on that list. I, I remember um, a story that was reported in the newspaper or the Houston Chronicle here here after he signed his $100 million contract. Of course, like a good guy, he agreed to, to cut some of that so that uh, they could open up the salary cap to, to get more players. Um, but I remember the day after he signed that contract, he was up to work out at the um, at the facility there at Reliant at like, um, I don't know, it was like four in the morning or something. I mean, the guy just has an insane work ethic. Um, he doesn't have a huge social life, I've heard, because uh, he's always studying film and always thinking about how he can get better. Um, so yeah, I mean, the guy is definitely on the track to be probably one of the more memorable players in uh, Houston sports history. Another one that came up, and I'm just going to quote W. Calvert from Montrose. Thank you for your response on the Reddit thread there. Brian Ching might not be as well-known since it's MLS, but he is definitely a legend. Played for the first eight Dynamo seasons, scored 56 goals and 169 appearances, including a monster four-goal game in Houston's first ever match, which even I remember that. I'm not um, the world's biggest soccer fan. I'm proud that we have a soccer team, of course, but uh, even I remember hearing about um, the four-goal performance uh, in their first match. The Dynamo made the postseason seven times in those eight years when the MLS MLS Cup twice and appeared in four championship games. He made 45 appearances for the U.S. men's national team, scored 11 goals. Thank you again, W. Calvert. So we've had some um, some very few people admittedly say that we should talk more soccer on the podcast. So I kind of feel like we're throwing you guys a bone here with Brian Ching, who's another honorable mention guy. So from 06 to 13 uh, with the Houston Dynamo, but he was born in Hawaii um, for what it's worth. Six-time MLS uh, All-Star and two-time champion, as we mentioned. So he's... He's a name that is worth mentioning, I guess. People don't think much about soccer if they're not into soccer, but people that are into soccer think only about soccer, and I'm sure that's a name that comes up immediately for them. So certainly worth bringing up, but probably not somebody you'd set next to three other guys as being one of the all-time greats. I've gone to a couple Dynamo games. I enjoy being there, but it is just not my thing. Uh, And I don't think Houston as a town is quite a soccer town yet. I don't even know if those exist in this country. So um, definitely uh, honorable mention. He sounds like a stellar player. Uh, just, uh, but I think by virtue of the sport he plays in, just not quite there yet in terms of our list. So let's talk about Warren Moon. He made your list, right? He absolutely did. Um, I, I, I say that out of personal bias. So when I was a kid, um, I was actually at the game in 1993 when we went 12 and four and then lost in the playoffs at the Kansas City Chiefs. I was at that game. And I remember my earliest memories of the Houston Oilers uh, with all the stuff I had, all the memorabilia. Um, the little jerseys. I mean, they were, it was Warren Moon stuff. And I just, I remember him representing to me, he was the face of the Houston Oilers. And uh, I can't think of someone who I have a more visceral connection to in terms of my earliest football memories than Warren Moon. Um, 
of course, you know, I, I heard about, you know, when he left Houston and went on and kind of had some issues in his personal life, but that never severed for me his significance to this city um, as a quarterback. And, and I think his significance to the field um, is even more uh, profound. Uh, we had mentioned earlier, um, you know, he was the, the first African-American QB inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, he was also uh, the, the first Canadian Hall of Famer inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, um, or I say Canadian football player. Um, and of course, you know, I, I think it's important to step back you know, when you're looking at uh, players like Warren Moon and recognize that, you know, African-American quarterbacks generally have it harder, or at least it's thought that they do um, in the NFL. And I, I think uh, when you look at his stats, he didn't have some records, like in terms of touchdown passes, uh, yards, completion, he didn't have some of those records broken until just a few years ago. So the guy had a profound impact on not only the the, the sport, but I, I think on the city as well. He played, he had a pretty good stint playing in Houston too. He played from 1984 from to 1993 is when he left. So, um, but he definitely had a profound impact uh, on the Oilers and, and certainly um, on me when I was a little kid. And he was top five when he retired for passing yards, passing touchdowns, pass attempts, and pass completions. So clearly uh, a guy who threw the ball a lot in the league. So he's on yours. That's one of your four there. Uh, who else is on yours? Next on my list, I've got Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, Hakeem the Dream. He and the 94-95 streak uh, where the Houston Rockets took the national championship. Um, Clutch City. We went from Choke City to Clutch City with Hakeem on the team. Um, he was just a, a just a powerful player. Um, and in and in my mind, I mean, I, I had an Elijah Wan jersey. Uh, my brother had an Elijah Wan jersey. Um, he, he he represented to me what uh, the, the Rockets were capable of. Uh, just a just a powerful player. Just incredible. Um, of course, you know when. After those two years, we had a really disappointing season, which should have been awesome when Barkley was added to the team. But um, overall, just a, just an absolutely impactful player. And he still does a lot in Houston. Um, he's still involved. I, I believe he opened up um, uh, some sort of – I, I believe he opened up a mosque here uh, not too long ago downtown. So the guys had a huge impact culturally in the city, um, and he just, it just made a lasting impression on me as a little kid when I was watching the Rockets. I think it's safe to say that no matter who you're talking to, if you're talking about coming up with a Mount Rushmore of Houston sports figures, there's probably not a single person that knows anything about Houston that would leave Hakeem off of it. He, he's got to be the consensus number one guy. If there were a biggest head on the Mount Rushmore, it would have to be his because of his contributions. And also, I agree, he's still around. So, I mean, the guy's a Houston legend. Uh Three trips to the Final Four with Phi Slamma Jamma. They named them Phi Slamma Jamma, the world's tallest fraternity. You know, they were known for their dunking style. Were huge stars, game of the century. Um, I'm oh, sorry, game of the century was early. They were huge stars uh, during the uh, the Guy V. Lewis era. And um, he was the first overall pick in the 1984 NBA draft over Michael Jordan. And I got to say, um, I'm not sure if, uh, if this is a popular opinion or widely held. I would not take Jordan over Hakeem Olajuwon even knowing everything we know, um, if I had the ability to go back and influence that draft, I mean, do you think that do you think that picking Hakeem over Jordan was the right call? I mean, that's absolute sacrilege to um, the basket to the mainstream basketball, uh, you know, intellect out there. I I, <laughs> I don't know if I would. Uh, that's only because I, I feel like Jordan just has such um, such a prolific. Um, his career and all the hoopla around him. The, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's uh, that's, that's tough. I, I think as a Houstonian, I want to pick uh, Hakeem, but uh, picking him over Jordan, that's, uh, that's going a little, that's going a little far. Um, certainly if I had to pick a number two, it would definitely be Hakeem though. I mean, he's the most uh, impactful, talented, athletic big man of all time. I think you could make the argument that Shaq, um, 
you might take a Shaq over Hakeem just because of the size and his unstoppability, but Hakeem was undoubtedly a more talented player. I mean, he could play any position if he wanted to. He's also the only player in NBA history to win the MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and Finals MVP in one year, which was that 93-94. And he was a gold medal Olympian uh, with America in 1996. All-time block leader, 3,830. And speaking of Michael Jordan, here's a quote. Uh, from Michael Jordan about Hakeem Olajuwon. And he said, if I had to pick a center for an all-time best team, I would take Olajuwon. That leaves out Shaq and Patrick Ewing, leaves out Wilt Chamberlain, leaves out a lot of people. And the reason I would take Olajuwon is very simple. He is so versatile because of what he can give you from that position. It's not just his scoring, not just his rebounding, not just his blocked shots. People don't realize he was in the top seven in steals. He always made great decisions on the court. For all facets of the game, I have to give it to him. That's from Michael Jordan himself. And he was a guy who famously hated being snubbed and Hakeem Olajuwon was picked over him. So that's just, uh, I think it speaks to the talent that he had and uh, and that Jordan would sort of uh, give him those kind words afterward. And I think that it's so fun to watch. When I was doing research for this segment, I went and watched Hakeem's you know, biggest plays, biggest moments, and so forth. And he just absolutely embarrassed other centers. They did not have the capability to keep up with him. The dream shake, all of the uh, tip backs that he had that were just amazing in the right place at the right time. I mean, the guy's talent was unparalleled and obviously University of Houston legend as well. And you're right, he's still around. I frequently see him sitting courtside next to Leslie Alexander at the, uh, at the Rockets games. And I've seen him at uh, more than a couple of U of H games actually come and say hi to Kelvin Sampson and all the guys out there so he is the consensus unquestioned number one pick for the Mount Rushmore of Houston sports I think and he certainly deserved to be there who else you got I've also got Rudy Tomjanovich um he Rudy T uh, not only is he a very genuine down-to-earth human being or at least in my family's experience he is um I have a little story about that later but uh, he so no not only did he play for the Rockets but he coached the Rockets and he coached us to two titles um I uh, Rudy T to me represents everything that is great about Houston sports. Um, and when I think about, you know, despite uh, the, the the cynicalness I have about our city and the, the, the state of our, our pro sports teams here, I can look back at the Rudy T years and, and feel good about um, about at least at least the Houston Rockets. So uh, to me, a uh, uh, very, very nice guy, very, very genuine guy. Let me tell you a uh, story. My mom was uh, down in Galveston, the, the Rockets, um, there are they these practice and in, in, down in Galveston and she was running along the seawall one day and ran into Rudy T and uh, I think they might have bumped into each other or something but anyways they had a, a minute conversation about you know what he was doing and how the team was going how practice was going and he's just a really down-to-earth genuine guy I mean my mom you know at that time a, a, a nobody and just an average fan and he actually took a few seconds out of his day uh, to talk with her about uh, about the team and um, and of course she uh, she you know uh, congratulated him on on the wins and everything uh, this was shortly after the after the national championship so just a really nice guy and uh, just a absolutely prolific player as well during his career um, and uh, a prolific coach uh, maybe not one of the best but definitely in my mind as a Houstonian someone that deserves undoubtedly to be on um, in my top four or in the top four I was actually shocked by how few of the redditors picked Rudy T as a as a guy to go on this because I think that he's if I had to go with like a number two, he would be my number two. Look at the all-time Houston Rockets points leaders. You had Hakeem Olajuwon with 26-5-11, Calvin Murphy with 17-9-49, Rudy Tomjanovich is third with 
13383. He's the third time leading scorer for the Houston Rockets. He also was a five-time All-Star, um, and he is—I mean, he—he he was here when they moved to Houston. He was uh, drafted by the San Diego Rockets and was here for the inaugural Houston Rockets 1971 season. He then stayed as a coach. He was an assistant to Bill Fitch during the Samson Elijah One Twin Towers era, and then as soon as he took over, they made the playoffs, and the next year uh, they began winning championships and won two in a row. So a 33-year total association with the Houston Rockets that was eventually um, had to be ended because of his um, health concerns. But he also had that quote. I mean, you talk about not just longevity and association and ties with the city and the team. He's got that. But also, the never underestimate the heart of a champion. It's just, oh, it gets me every time. You can throw that into any montage or any show, and it will immediately bring tears to my eyes. And, and, and uh, you know, again, Hakeem Olajuwon, Rudy Tomjanovich, very to- closely tied. You got two guys from the Rockets there, but it makes sense because I mean, what real success has the city had? The Rockets won those two championships, and those were two uh, key focal points for it. So, yeah, for his longevity, for being uh, the third-time all-league scorer for the Rockets, um, and then also being with them as a coach. I think Rudy T definitely belongs on the Mount Rushmore. Last on my list, last but not least, let me just round out my list here real quick. I've got Earl Campbell. Now, the guy did not play forever uh, in the NFL, but he had a huge uh, impact uh, for the Oilers during the Love You Blue era. I don't know if... uh, most of our listeners are uh, old enough to remember, but the, the the Houston Oilers were horrible in the early 70s. And it was thanks to uh, Bum Phillips and uh, later on players like Earl Campbell that that all got turned around. And we actually kind of had a respectable thing going uh, with uh, the Oilers. And so um, I, I can't think of anyone uh, better uh, to kind of round up my top four than Earl Campbell. Just, um, I, of course, you know, he retired uh, I think uh, b- b- before my time, but uh, when I look back at Houston sports history, he absolutely des- deserves to be in my top four. Yeah, the longevity is a bit of an issue. He's also, uh, his nickname is the Tyler Rose, so obviously associated with Tyler, so that counts against him in my mind. He was he was one of the guys that came up over and over again in the Reddit thread. And in people that I've asked and talked to, he is a guy that sticks in the memory. And I think you can make a case for it. You look, he's got 9,407 rushing yards, uh, average 4.3, which, you know, Solid. Uh, 74 touchdowns. Um, you know, so he's he is definitely a beloved figure in the city, but also went to the Saints um, when Bum Phillips was there in 84. So didn't spend the bulk of his career here, or the, the uh, totality of his career here with us. Um, he is a Pro Football Hall of Famer. Uh, certainly a guy that comes up often as one of the greatest football players of all time. So I can see you making a case for him, but I just don't know that he necessarily makes my list. So, so uh, ca- recap it for me. What's your top four here? So I've got Warren Moon, Hakeem Olajuwon, Rudy T, and Earl Campbell. Interesting. So I, I'm a bit of a homer. I'm going to read you my last two. I've um, I've got Rudy Tomjanovich, Hakeem Olajuwon, I think are consensus picks here. And then where I go different, Guy V. Lewis, who uh, we have spoken about extensively before. Actually, if you want to go back to episode 17, we interviewed Howard Lorch, um, who was a team manager for Guy V. during the uh, Game of the Century era um, when he sort of recruited Elvin Hayes and Don Chaney. Racial integration was one of the topics that he got into. And he just told some really powerful, amazing stories about the guy. And you talk about a guy that made a lasting legacy. He was the coach of U of H basketball from 56 to 86. Uh, was coached during the game of the century, which was uh, kind of changed the game, so to speak. 1968, first regular season game that was broadcast nationwide uh, in primetime for college basketball. U of H broke UCLA's 47-game, two-and-a-half season streak. Uh, neither team had been beaten since they'd last played each other. It was, I mean, a lot of games since then have been called the game of the century. That was the game of the century, and it sort of put college basketball 
basketball on the map in terms of something you could watch during the regular season. And it made March Madness what it is today. So he was an originator, not just a great coach, but also a guy that, um, you know, sort of implemented things that changed the way the game was played. Another one would be the racial integration, uh, recruiting Elvin Hayes and Don Chaney at a time when other, uh, other coaches at major college programs were not recruiting or playing black players and certainly not giving them scholarships. Um, that changed the game as well. So you talk about 27 straight winning seasons, uh, 14 NCAA trips, five final fours and two NCAA championship games in 83 and 84. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, obviously the most famously losing to the Wolfpack when Jimmy Valvano won, uh, that that championship for them um again a footnote to someone else's success but that guy is uh, in the naismith hall of fame the national collegiate ball hall of fame basketball hall of fame and he's just a pivotal character in the history of houston basketball and college basketball nationally even guys in other places kind of fondly look back and remember him and he was beloved so i think that he'd have to be on mine as well and you can see uh my last pick here definitely a homer bill yeoman you familiar with bill I'm not. Bill Yeoman was the uh, UH football head coach from uh, 1962 to 86. And he basically is most famous for developing the Veer offense, which I'm sure you're familiar with the Veer offense. It has been popularized and talked about and basically changed the game. But he also was a force for racial integration. Um, First coach at a white school to sign and give a scholarship to uh, a black player, Warren McVeigh in 1964. So they're two guys that are connected in my mind. They're both Houston figures, obviously the University of Houston. And full disclosure, I did um, go to the University of Houston. Uh, But they also, you know, ushered in a new era of... um, of racial integration, which is important. Uh, in, in terms of the Veer offense, U of H led the nation in total offense three years in a row with 400-plus yards per game. Um, <laughs> here's one reason you might keep him off. Uh, he uh, committed something like uh, 250 violations of NCAA rules, like handing cash to players. He got them banned from bowl games in 89 and 90 um, and basically was forced out, forced to retire. But he's in the College Football Hall of Fame, and i got to be honest with you. I don't care. Do you ever care if somebody violates NCAA regulations? Does that affect your opinion of them at all? No, I I, I think a lot of the a lot of that's uh, very very silly and stupid. Um, in fact, you know, I look at what happened to SMU um, back when they were given the death penalty, and I, I just I cannot morally justify what the NCAA did to that team. Um, and I have to look at those rules and just think those are some dumb rules. And I, to me, that does not at all tarnish his legacy in my mind. Um, I think uh, if, if we're looking at the, the whole of his career, absolutely not. No, the, the NCAA, um, I, in my opinion, is due for a few rule changes of its own. Um, but no, that, that in my mind, I mean, my gosh, uh, it's, it's really easy to see how some players on, on, my, on my list here have, uh, don't have spotless records either. But no, that does not diminish him at all. The NCAA rules are ridiculous, and I do think we're on the cusp of a time when they're going to be changing, so I'm all in favor of that. But uh, So that rounds out my list there. we got Guy V. Lewis, Bill Yeoman, Hakeem Olajuwon, Rudy Tomjanovich, only one of those not associated with the University of Houston, which um, I think sort of bespeaks my biases. But those are my four guys. So what we'd like from the listeners is, um, you've heard our discussion, you've heard some of our arguments here. Uh, are there guys that we left off? Are there guys that we talked about that you think are more deserving than we thought they were? We would love to hear from you. You can go to our Facebook page. Um, that's facebook.com slash weekly brewcast. And there is a, an easy way to contact us there. I think it sends you straight to our email or messages us. I'm not really sure exactly how that works, but we will get those messages. Uh, or you can go to uh, the Reddit thread um, or you can uh, tweet at us, uh, weekly brewcast, at weekly brewcast. So a lot of ways to reach out to us. But we would love to hear if you're a Houston person or you have some knowledge of the Houston sports scene, uh, who would be your four 
for the Mount Rushmore of Houston sports and uh, and why would they be on there and uh, how did we mess this up? That's that's what we're certainly interested to hear. So thank you, Jeremy. That was enlightening and a very pleasant way to spend a couple minutes. Closing time. This has been the 36th episode of the Weekly Brew Podcast. Hard to believe uh, that we're at 36. That's really... It's really something. It's, uh, it's been a while we've been doing this now. I'm recording this outro alone, as you may be able to tell. Austin is overseas, of course, and Jeremy has some Easter obligations. I am, as usual, the only person without any kind of a life and plenty of time to do this sort of thing. So I want to wish, or I guess not wish all of you a happy Easter, but hope that all of you had a happy Easter and uh, enjoyed time with your family, friends, loved ones, etc. And I just want to thank you for listening. Uh, you guys have been really great, particularly with the sharing of our content. We always appreciate um, you guys at Whiskey Nick on Twitter. Did a great job this week of uh, helping us promote. And that is um, something we really appreciate because we were trying to grow and we have been growing very rapidly. Um, and we appreciate all the help we have in doing that. So you can go to our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, etc., and then take our content and reshare it. Um, you know, if you have a podcast that you love, share it with people. I've discovered that people are really um, looking to get into things, particularly podcasts. They just don't necessarily hear about them or know about them. And so all it takes sometimes is one person saying, hey, I like this show. I like these guys um, and what they have to say, and you should listen to it as well. So we certainly appreciate all the people that do that for us every week, and um, and we love you for it. And all we also love, we, our sponsor, we talk about them a lot, and I would say, uh, you know, we talk about them a lot because we love them a lot. We is a great place. As we mentioned at the top of the show, they've recently uh, implemented Wi-Fi in their uh, in their bakery, and they have really beautiful interior design, really delicious treats. It's a great place to spend some time and uh, and procure some snacks and coffee and just hang out. And if you have work to do uh, for your college classes or for your business or whatever, it's a, it's a great place to be. So I highly recommend you go check out We Desserts. Uh, it's O-U-I Desserts 3411 Kirby. And they're also on Facebook, Instagram, and all those other social media sites. Um, and then, of course, we always have one person, sometimes more than one person, sometimes zero. But uh, whenever we do have someone leave an iTunes rating and review, um, that is the highlight of my week. It's really uh, the best thing you can do for my personal well-being and happiness because sort of unhealthily and, and advisedly, I've tied up all of my self-worth into this show. So um, so when this goes well, it goes really well for me. So Ashton W., who, spoiler alert, is Ashton Warren from a couple of episodes ago, uh, a great guest. You can go back and listen to her episode. She talked about covering the Big 12 tournament for Campus Insiders, but she uh, was not only a great guest, but um, also is a great listener as well. Left us a review. Says, these guys rock. These guys do a great job in keeping up with the podcast weekly and brainstorming new ideas to bring to the listeners. I just started listening to the podcast recently, but have loved everything I heard. These guys are not boring, which plays a big factor in whether or not I will listen to a podcast uh, as well as should. You've got to give me some type of entertainment, which these guys do. And they also have a wide variety of guests on the show as well. If you are from Houston, love the Baylor Bears, or just want to hear some quality information, these guys are the ones to listen to. And that's the kind of review we really appreciate, because obviously from a guest, but also because it says, hey, if you're from Houston or you love the Baylor Bears, or if you love the University of Houston, I would add as well, then you should listen to uh, this show. And it kind of gives people an idea of what they're getting into. So Ashton um, and her Twitter handle is at... Ashton underscore Brooke with an E. So go ahead and follow her. She's a terrific reporter and was a terrific guest as well. So thank you very much for that. So in any case, thank you for listening, uh, especially to our new listeners out there. Glad you discovered us and to our old listeners. Um, always great to have you aboard. Hope you guys have a wonderful week and we will see you next Monday. And uh, brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 